used up <laughs> all of my energy. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, I'm Chad. I'm Dr. Melissa Whitman. This is the autistic female. I think we have that backwards. We did it backwards, Jeff. Okay. What's it again? Are we gonna do it again? No, I don't. I think I think I think for episode one, that's actually probably no. this right fitting. Do it again. All right. Uh, hi, I'm Chad. No. <laughs> that's not a good is that <laughs> Shit. Okay, you go. Uh, we got to get my sniffles out of this. Thing. Yeah, I okay. don't think I don't think we can do that. I'm Dr. Melissa Whitman, and I'm Chad, and this is the autistic female. Nailed it. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> So we didn't know exactly what to do for the first episode, yeah. but I felt like going back to us being in Florida during the pandemic and you getting the diagnosis, mm -hmm. I think would be a really interesting spot to kind of kick off the entire show yeah. because then I think, I feel like we can then work backwards and kind of go through your journey in learning about yourself and I think my reflections in that. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to just give a little brief overview before we dive into that of what you're hoping to accomplish with this entire podcast series? Yeah. So I think a big thing, like just in general, whether it's research or social media accounts, just information around autistic females is becoming pretty abundant, but really it's around diagnosis, awareness, and then kind of acceptance. And it seems to stop at that. And I'm in a unique position and in a very unique and niche field that can provide tools, brain balancing, all of these different things to make life easier. Because what I have found is in my experience and so many people I've talked to is life is just like harder than it has to be really. And when you can balance out the hemispheres, work on vagal tone, all of these different things, it really just makes life easier and allows you to do the things you want to do without so much difficulty. So uh, this is going to be all about, you know, stories, your perspective, my perspective, um, current research, clinically what I would do, um, a whole host of different things. So we're going to cover the gamut of a lot of different things. But ultimately, I just want people to know that at whatever point they're ready, there is other stuff out there. So I don't want it to stop at just, oh, this is this is it, right? So you and I are both very much like growth mindset and always working on personal development. So it's kind of from that point of view. So for me, with that diagnosis, instead of being like, wow, I suck and I just like have such a hard time doing all these different things, I'm like, oh, wow, my brain is a little bit different and Imagine that I'm in a field that now that I know that I know how to make those things easier and kind of go more smoothly. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great encapsulation. And I feel like the other piece that you talk about that you didn't mention is like how women being diagnosed with autism, so under diagnosed and that mm -hmm. it seems that people are discovering that women are a lot more autistic than expected. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, cancel. Well, no, I mean, I mean that it's the sense of that, but like nine times, it was like ninety percent of di autistic diagnosis. Eighty percent, yeah. So the so these are great stats to start with. So you're yeah. right. Um, the you know kind of current research is that eighty percent of autistic women are still undiagnosed at age eighteen. 
And that's crazy. That's, I mean, absolutely not the case for most males. So that's important. And then, you know, what I learned, again, I'm, I'm in the field of functional neurology and I work with all sorts of autistic patients, neurodevelopmental disorders, pediatric brain injuries, uh, all these different things. And the very common thing is that it's about a one to four ratio that for every one autistic female, there's four autistic males. Now I'm reading research that they think it's three to four. So three males to four females. I mean, I don't know. We'll wait to see more research if that ends up being accurate. But I would say in my clinical experience, my personal life, you know, talking to people, it's probably about even which is just like would blow the minds of so many people. Yeah, I feel like in the eighties or nineties, that would have been like absolute. Yeah, I mean, still yeah. still to this day, because that's how I was taught. Like what's being taught is still that one to four ratio that it's males. But you know, an important thing to touch on with that is that over the years, all of the research has been done on males until recently. So you have all of this information in the research of what to look for what does it look like clinically all the diagnosis you know everything was mostly done on males so of course you're going to have a male phenotype basically and now there is a female autistic phenotype coming out and that really differs for a lot of people from the male perspective yeah was it, i mean we don't want to go too far down the history but <laughs> yeah that's why like, no, that's... why why were women so underdiagnosed i mean it makes intuitive sense that yeah. generally speaking the number should be 50 50 so you're you're kind of one-to-one ratio like makes intuitive sense mm-hmm. but are there reasons that women have tended to be underdiagnosed yeah so they just show up differently i mean if you even think of us you know we knew each other in high school right i ate lunch in the library. I didn't like being in the cafeteria. I ended up quitting high school sports because I could not handle, and I fully realized what was happening at the time. But looking back, I couldn't handle like, you know, a varsity game where it's loud and there's uh, the lights. Like I can still picture the lights and the sounds and the band. And I, I couldn't do it. I could practice. I loved practicing. Practice, you know, was my favorite, but I couldn't handle the games. So that's just very different than a male is more of an outward. And for female, autistic females, it's often an inward scenario, situation, feelings, things that are going on. It's dealt with more inward, um, among other things. So although I think that's better to like yeah. work on in another episode because I could go on, on and on about that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like the starting point of this story is us in Florida we're locked and there's, you know, lockdowns going on. Um, we're with our two little, little boys. Uh, we're in the villages, Florida, which is a retirement community. (laughs) Um, we have been together on and off in some capacity for about 20 years. Um, uh, mostly on like 95% on, uh, uh, maybe 5% off. (laughs) Uh, and we were in Florida and, um, what made you, like sit down to go take that test. Like I'd like to kind of deconstruct kind of that yeah. moment and then we'll just kind of play with kind of going backwards in time from there. Well, I was sitting on the couch and you came over to me and said, honey, I think you might be autistic. Were we in a fight? And I don't even remember. No, we were in a fight. Like you were really, you were like, you even said it oh, a bit of gingerly. I remember that? I saw a TikTok. It was, you saw a TikTok. I video. saw a TikTok. So you were bringing yes. over your yeah. phone, but your phrase was like, honey, 
I think you might be yeah. autistic. You're like, there's this girl, she's like put together and she's yeah. well spoken and she's, you know. Can I kind of comment a little on that? Is like, yeah. I feel like the stereotype that I grew yeah. up with in the 90s was that autistic people, and I, even when I talk to my parents about autism and stuff, yeah. I think their mental model of what autism is is a very extreme version of autism. Yeah, that's why it's a spectrum. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, and so sure. it's always felt like, and I think even to this day when I talk to my friends and stuff about your diagnosis and in the appropriate areas, it's like there's a like mental model of being born in the late 80s and thinking through the 90s of the people we went yeah. to school with that were autistic. It mm -hmm. felt like they were far more on the special needs side yeah. of things yeah. than they sort of, oh, um, you know, and so I, any of my language I do want to be just like sensitive to is that some of those were like my preconceived notions of your comment. Like I saw this TikTok. Yeah, there was like, um, in my experience, having dealt with what I understood autistic people to be through the 90s and early 2000s as a, as a school, school age person was, yeah, people that often very intelligent, um, very kind of kooky, for lack of a better word, like particular uh, and most often like really gave zero shits about their appearance was like sort of like if like if I'd have yeah, to it's do like my... the ultimate lack of right brain right and they're just like I love reading or I love Harry yeah. Potter or like they were just like in their sure. thing and the rest of the world didn't matter so sure. what people were doing for going to a school dance or what clothes people were wearing seemed to just be like the last thing they cared about mm -hmm. so yeah so what... I, I want to jump yeah. in for a second yeah. on that because I I can so relate to that but I had enough of a social awareness to know that I should care but I don't think I actually cared. You know what I mean? It was like I, I had enough awareness to know, and that's kind of like, it's a misnomer, I feel like, the high-functioning part, but that's what it's called, you know, high-functioning, to be able to think, oh, everyone's wearing Hollister polos. That's probably what I should wear. So it, what, But I don't think I actually cared that mm -hmm. that's what I was wearing. So it's it's kind of that in between again. It's that spectrum where there's. I felt like there are people like they really cared about that. That meant yeah. something to them. Like the quote unquote sure. cool click, which I right. I still don't really right. understand. Yeah, I mean I wear like the same thing to work every day. I've you know five of everything. But for people and listening, I would have loved to do that in high school. But that would have been so weird to do in high school. So like I knew I wasn't supposed to do that. And I would say though, for people who who will learn throughout the show, though, I mean, yeah. you do dress well now, so it's not yeah. necessarily. But for like, work, for my everyday, I love yeah, like yeah. being fashionable and stuff. But for work, when I'm going, because it's like the decision fatigue. I think right. I have so many things I need to focus on and do at work. I don't want to be thinking about when I'm right. while I'm there. So if we go out, that's different. Yeah. yeah. So I saw a TikTok. And this person was, and not, you know, I, I, we're going to have to do so many disclaimers and like, and this comes with so much love and like understanding of the challenge of it. Uh, but yeah, this person was very, uh, broke all my mental models of what autistic yeah. might look like. And yeah. again, uh, probably naive in that. But yes, like beautiful, articulate, mm -hmm. self-reflective. Uh, and, and the fact that they were recording on a TikTok to talk about <laughs> autism, right? Like was un unexpected. And sure. so she had a bunch of different stories just talking about her diagnosis and her journey. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, I brought that to you and said, hey, I've been watching these TikToks. <laughs> I think you might be autistic. Uh, yeah. well, like, what do you think? I and Yeah, and I just started laughing at you. And I was like, I'm literally in this field. Like that's my profession. I mean, I see patients who are autistic, that I've been trained in it. I know what to look for. And so I was like, no, I'm just, you know, an introvert with social anxiety. And fast forward, I've learned the differences, right? And there's some really key differences between the two things. And that was not the case at all. That was incorrect.
um, I was absolutely autistic. So I definitely gave some pushback, I think for a few days and you're like, well, and you know, I think she posted like the AQ and different tests you can take. I'm like, fine, I will take them just to prove to you that this is not accurate. And I scored so high, <laughs> I scored so high on all of the tests. Cause then I, I did a few more cause you can do the AQ and then I, I ended up doing a number of other tests and that really kind of threw me for a loop because I started reframing so much of my life. Like, wait a second. Cause first of all, you think well, what's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And at least for me, that was this like, oh my God, what's wrong with me. And then I realized just like I would tell a patient, there's nothing wrong with you, you know, per se from a brain perspective, but we can balance things out. You know, there's a Ideally, you don't have such a right brain deficit, such a difference between left and right brain. Ideally, you have good vagal tone and, and these other things. You don't have retained primitive reflexes and whatnot. So I was going through this process of just thinking, uh, you know, back over the years and everything made so much more sense. So much more sense. And it was really helpful that we've known each other for so long because you know, I could bring up a scenario from high school and you're like, oh, I remember that, yeah. you know, or oh, this or, um, you know, even the alexithymia. So I ended up, I think pretty quickly after that, I decided, okay, self-diagnosis is acceptable in this field, but I wanted to get a professional diagnosis, which I ended up deciding to get it from two independent people because again, <laughs> two people you know, like, hey, am I actually... And so I decided to seek that out. And that was, that was a long process. That was maybe a six month process to go through with so much testing, so many different things to make that, you know, official or whatnot. But I didn't want that kind of backing. And again, I know in this whole world of autism and self-diagnosis is very much acceptable, but because I am working in this field, I mean, I'm literally in the field of functional neurology. I wanted that, you know, kind of full confirmation. So it's not, it's not my opinion. It's not, you know, anything really on me. So I took those tests multiple times thinking that maybe I would start scoring less. And I scored within like one point every single time. And then I made you take them. That's right. Remember that? Yeah, I do. Because I thought, well, you know, what's, what's actually the accuracy and the validity of these tests? And, and I, they do and, take them. And I do have some like idiosyncrasies that yeah. compared to my normal friends For feel sure. like I don't, they don't do. For sure. But yeah, I was like super neurotypical on the, on the According results. According to those. Yeah. Like, For sure. Okay. Not autistic. Maybe some sensory stuff, but for sure. <laughs> not yeah. So that made me kind of pause. And then, yeah, I decided to, to seek out the professional diagnosis. Yeah. Your comment about the reframing. Um, it was really interesting too, like, yeah, being a partner, um, because it, you know, I, our eldest son, you know, so has ha exhibits some of these sort of really sensitivities, right. And left brain. I've yeah. watched him grow obviously from the day he was born and be so innate with his reactions. And so visceral and natural to who he is. Mm -hmm. And then sort of like, you know, assuming, let's say he's also perhaps high functioning autistic, um, sort of then mapping of like, Oh, holy shit. Like 
when, you know, when we take away his favorite toy or you offer, this is a classic one that I offer him is, you know, when we say, Hey, A or B, yeah. hey, do you want ice cream? Which he doesn't really, let's say yes. coconut dairy free ice cream <laughs> Which he never or, you know, gluten either. vegan, you know, dairy free cookie. And you present both options to him. Yeah. He cannot wrap his head around not having both options now because you've introduced kind of both concepts or, you know, I'm just making kind of a, a situation. And to watch him kind of go through that and just be like, dude, like, it's really simple. It's like everything has a trade-off, A or B. And like, and then the thinking about the arguments and fights that we've been in that are similar, but as adults without as as much tantrums. Although I'm starting to, quite honestly, reframe some of your behavior occasionally, sometimes through a tantrum. And I know it's not like the right word, <laughs> but I picture Leo going through that same scenario yeah. and seeing his activation of his emotional... And, and that's what it is. Right. It really is like this complete visceral reaction that you're going through and it's creating this overload. Right. And you're like, you know, but as an adult, you know, you're supposed to suppress it. But that doesn't mean it doesn't... Like, it's still there. Right. It's still there. Right. You know, arguably worse because mm -hmm. we will help him kind of walk through it but for me you know especially in the past you know it's unacceptable to be angry it's unacceptable to yeah. basically have emotions right and so that would all get stuffed and that's not not a good scenario yeah and, and that it, can certainly show up as a tantrum or a meltdown i mean really meltdown, some of it is yeah. a meltdown and yeah. looking back some of the times that i've struggled the most i was going through an autistic burnout and i was having a meltdown and I just didn't know what it was at the time. And I was just like, what's wrong? You know, what's, you know, hard on myself. What's mm -hmm. wrong with you? Why can't you, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the reframing piece for me, actually, especially dealing with Leo, because, you know, had this happened maybe before children, maybe that would, you know, change things. I wouldn't have as much like sort of experience with dealing the rawness of it. But it did actually, it made me feel a lot closer to you because I had a lot more empathy and one of the things like to share transparently um, is that I think one of the things is you were concerned that I might treat you more childish. And and I was really concerned about yeah. that, you know, as my husband, yeah. like, I don't want to be viewed. And we did go through that. For yes, we did. I was there saying. We talked yeah. through it. And yeah. it was really difficult because right. I didn't like stop treating me like, like a child or like, you know, yeah. Right. The, yeah, that, there like, was a transition in that. Yeah. And. Sure. And I think it's something we have to continue to pay attention to yeah. because mm -hmm. as someone who's more neurotypical and as someone you, like yourself who can experience a, you know, a meltdown or, you know, a, a tantrum for lack of a better word. And it's meltdown. Worth, Let's just call well, it a meltdown. I mean, you know, it's actually, this is worth, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good pausing point for a second is okay. that like, like my background is in technology, you know, mm -hmm. building businesses and all these things. Like yeah. I am not particularly medical. And so when we were talking about you doing a potential show and, and going deep into this, yeah. um, we thought it might be interesting to have me sort of sound as like either a spouse or sort of like the layman viewpoint sure. and allow you to like educate. Um, and so I'm probably going to say in incorrect, inappropriate that, <laughs> right. Uh, but I, but I actually but you're I, trying and you you say it with so much compassion and love and yeah you're unbelievably open and understanding and I'm yeah. just I'm hoping to bring kind of that piece to these conversations and I think there's a lot when I'm finding in just in the community in general there's a lot of women and they're married to a more neurotypical husband and I think that's a big part of what has anchored me mm. to be able to 
be successful in my career and as a mother and all of these different things because you kind of, you know, anchor me and are a constant and consistent and I need that. I very, I mean, everyone needs yeah. that, but I really feel like I, yeah, I just would like kind of go adrift. <laughs> yeah. And then when, otherwise, and when we've been apart, I mean, there's been some more, more drifting in that. We're not yeah. to say that you like, you know, you're, you're strong on your own as well, but, um, it takes more, I would say when, when I was single, I mean, I opened my own clinic when I was yeah. single, I did all of that on my own. But it was, um, I'm trying to think of it from, it was like sheer willpower, which I have a lot of, and I'm very resilient. <laughs> I can do it. And I think that's like the best thing. That's one of my best traits, you know, I, we were filming, uh, for another work project recently. And they said, they asked me something to the effect of like, you know, what's, one of your best traits. And I said, I'm really fucking resilient. And I think probably most of the females who are being diagnosed in their twenties and thirties, that's probably a common theme because there was no other option. Mm -hmm. We were either going to be really fucking resilient or we were going to, I don't know. I mean, there's really not another option if we want any type of career or success and what's important to us and, and career isn't always you know the main thing but there's that and then you can like push through with willpower and then there's just being settled in ease and going through which I feel is where I am now most of the time and there's times it gets stressful because that's life and but then I can it's like I can conjure that up I can pull that part up instead of it always being like that. So it's always like that burnout meltdown. And I was in a cycle of burnout meltdown about every six months for a long time. I mean, looking back, that's like middle school, high school, college. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, the semester would end and I would be done, like done, 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 done. And, you know, have some sort of looking back, you know, meltdown, whatever because it was always the willpower, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to the diagnosis and sort of the reframing, I think one of the biggest challenges, at least for me was, um, yeah, where do I sort of give you a pass because you might yeah. be neurodivergent yes. and where do I hold you accountable because sure. you're a human being, you're my sure. partner. Like, and I want to be holding on. Right. I want growth. I want to get better. And it's yeah. really, and especially when you first are yeah. dealing with that, you really, I found myself reassessing everything, yeah. you know, like sometimes we get in fights about the budget yep. and it's like, is that something I should be like, just being like, I'm in control of the budget. I have it. Here's what, here's what you, or do we do it collaboratively? Is that a is that a is that a Melissa thing? Is that a neuro you know, neurodivergent <laughs> thing? Is that like a spouse thing? Is that a childhood trauma thing? Like yeah, yeah, because it's always that way, right? And like, mm -hmm. and so that was one of my hardest things. But I wanted to ask you is like, is there maybe two or three things that you like immediately jumped out to that reframe that moment you sort of accepted the diagnoses that were like, hey, you know, the you made a comment about the cycle burnouts one, just yeah. like. Was there like, was there either behaviors or events in your life that just jumped to mind as being like, as soon as you heard this or sort of accepted this diagnosis that were like, oh, 
yeah like any more jump out to you do you mean like oh yeah that's why that happened or like or like i'm reframing that of like man i must have been you, you made a comment about eating the library i didn't even we haven't talked about that i forgot that you ate in the library and i recall now that you're eating the library and i never thought about it through the lens of autism you eating right. in the library right. <laughs> and like so just even hearing that's like oh yeah you probably were eating in the library <laughs> I like because you're autistic <laughs> So, high school. Right. so are there any other of those that just jump out? Like, Yeah, I mean, it's another one around eating. So there's so much around eating because you're already having a sensory experience mm. around eating. And, you know, luckily I don't have any issues around eating. I love being healthy. I love nutrition. You know, I, I was really important for me. I would say one of your issues and this, well, I don't know if you're going this, sorry for uh -huh. interrupting you, is this like <laughs> you do have a very binary approach to, to food, nutrition and diet. Yes. Like, okay. So I think one thing is I, it's so simple to me. He's <laughs> heard this so many times. It's so simple to me. Like we have one body in this lifetime. That's it. Like fucking take care of it. A hundred percent agree. But my, and I don't think I'm that extreme. I really don't think I'm that extreme. You're in the top 0.1%. I mean, you know, no gluten, no dairy. Really don't eat much sugar, you know, but I eat, I, I eat well, we, no high protein, whatever. We're in our mid thirties. We feel great. We work out like it works is my point. A hundred percent works. So it's, it's my, my point is that it works, but, but. There's like not much flexibility. Yeah. My flexibility is that we'll get like grass-fed burgers right. from a restaurant. Right. Right. <laughs> like that's my mental flexibility. Right. And and I enjoy that because the thing is I spent so many years feeling awful. Mm -hmm. Like I grew up headaches, stomach aches, you know, and and I just I did not feel well. And part of that there's, you know, other things that we can go into, but Part of that is that you have that brain imbalance, you have the low vagal tone, you're going to be more sensitive. So when you have low vagal tone, you're more sensitive, you know, cranial nerve seven, all of these things. So I went so long for so many years not feeling well. And when I started taking care of myself in, you know, a few different ways, like I expect to feel great every day or at least feel really good. You know, like today I'm having allergy stuff. I'm like not feeling great, but that's kind of the extent that I swing to, you know, I don't, not, I expect to not have issues with my digestion, not have issues with my skin, not have, you know, when those things come up, I'm like, oh, something's off and I'm on it and I deal with it. So when you talk about that narrow range, I, yeah, I just like, I want to feel good. I've heard, you know, an analogy before, I forget what it was. It was something about sort of princess and the pea kind of a thing with autism. Like if there's something bothering you, oh yeah. But when everything's good, bliss. Yeah, the princess and the pea comment is really interesting because I think one of the things that I've articulated this my my perception of this journey is I experience those same things that you seem to experience. Like the discomforts kind of a thing. You're right, but okay. they're so low. And the analogy I've always used is I always picture like a lake. And I picture a a, uh, a boat in a lake and someone takes a rock about, you know, this size, like the size of a football and they drop the rock in, yeah. in into the lake. Yeah. And that'll create some ripples uh, sure. for the boat. Not much, sure. but just like if you're sitting a boat fishing and someone did that next to you, you might be just like a little like mm -hmm. that. That's mm -hmm. it. And I imagine your boat is like a paper boat the size <laughs> of, you know, a hamburger. 
And it's like they drop that rock next to it, and it's like a tsunami, yes. and the wave, and the ripple up, and the yes. down. It's like thirty foot waves all of a sudden, as yes. they imagine. Same rock. Same rock. Yes. But I different. felt ripples too. Yeah. But my brain seems to do a much yeah. better job just being like, yeah, it's like who cares? Like it's like it almost it reminds me of like when you meditate and an idea comes and you sort of let it go. Yep. It just feels like that, right? It's just like like oh, there's a beeping. And it's just like, no, that it just like, well, and, and it's gone. And meditation really is a whole brain activity. It's true. You know, it's yeah. somewhat right brain, but a very whole brain activity. And I love meditating. I have very deep meditation practice. And that's actually one of the things that has helped me in the last probably decade to 15 years to not get so hung up is I would think back to, okay, yes, like if I were meditating, I always picture like, you know, a thought coming in on a cloud and it's fine that it's there, but then it leaves. And so to apply that on, on kind of this context is really interesting. Right. And it really takes that, you can either do it again through willpower, mm -hmm. right? So you can push it through willpower or you can be in a more balanced cortical and vagal state that it can go through similar to probably how you experience things. Mm -hmm. There's a, I, I, this is off the script and off kind of the narrative, but um, one of the other pieces that I just really, really think of when I think of your journey, mm -hmm. and I think this was a right around when you were discovering your diagnosis and whatnot, because as you said, it was kind of a, you, you kind of, I almost said the word failed. So this is a good example <laughs> of like, you tested neurodivergent, uh, and then you went to go get other independence. Yeah. There's this gap of like yeah. months of like from the moment that. We... Yeah, it was like early 2020 to fall 2020. Right. Yeah. It, but and it was like, but it was like, we, we were like, oh, you failed those. Oh, gosh, sorry. I said failed again. Scored but like high. you scored high on neurodivergency again. <laughs> and so it was like, oh, like, yeah, you probably, this is more of a confirmation than it is a, yeah. uh, a debut of, right. of the concept. But there was this, must have been a TikTok. Man, I hope they don't shut down TikTok. Uh, but there was this journey of um, these people that would watch a scene. Mm -hmm. And in the scene, it was like, I'm going to make up the scene because I don't quite recall. But it was like the man would like, let's say he was like taking his shirt off because he spilled something on it. Mm -hmm. And he would say, you know, something like seductive in that. Like, mm -hmm. oh man, like I just, I really, you know, need to change my shirt. Right. But how you could imagine like without understanding. <laughs> well, he was taking like he's really muscular. He oh, spills okay. something in his shirt, okay. and he says like, "Oh, I need to like, take my shirt okay. off." Like, but he's actually taking his shirt off to show his muscle. Yeah. But like the tone was everything, yeah. right? In in the, the moment, because uh, if you said it in like deadpan, like, "Oh, I have something in my shirt. I have to take my I have to take it off." Yep. Like that tone is a lot different than like, "Oh, I have to," you know, like this like bravado to it. Mm -hmm. And they put it was something like a magnet, or some sort of electromagnetic oh, thing. Do you remember? And I think it was over the right cortex. In, if and, I recall. And I these remember. and these people with autism yeah. were they watched the thing and they were like, yeah. Oh, he spilled something on his shirt and he had to take it off. Yeah. That that was the story. Yeah. And then they did this magnet thing on their brain and the people were like, Holy shit, like mm -hmm. he was trying to seduce her. And and for one woman it was like insanely profound because she's she described it as going through her life seeing in black and white and all the seeing color. Mm -hmm. And then having to go back to black and white and saying all of this frustration I've experienced in my life, all this confusion, all yes. the fights, all the trauma that I've that that I've created, especially relationally, right, and between like a partnership. And I yes. haven't been seeing the depth in these behaviors, and that that to me also blew my mind. Mm -hmm. 
And it reframed some of my things. I was like, holy shit, sometimes you're actually not seeing color mm-hmm. in a black and white thing, mm-hmm. which just kind of blows my mind, right? And like that gap between neurodivergent and neurotypical people, or yeah. I think a lot of the animosity, frustration, and all that stuff can brew is in that gap. Absolutely. I mean, I'll have to pull this back up, but I know there's research on, you know, neurodivergent people are fine in social situations with other neurodivergent people. Neurotypical people are fine in social situations with other neurotypical people. It's the crossover right. that's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like how yeah. do we function? Right. And, and that's where like it's draining and it's, you know, kind of all that. Yeah, because it's really frustrating right. for a neurotypical person as well because you're like, sure. why are you hung up on this really, really small yeah. thing? You know, like I had a coworker. Uh, and we were like, we'd have these meetings every Tuesday and the meeting kind of bumped up to lunchtime. Yeah. And this particular worker would just like lose their shit if like we were like go into lunchtime yeah. by five, 10, 15 Change minutes. The schedule. Right. And, they, yeah. and, and so they started bringing snacks and it was really important that they ate that snack at this time. And like, and it, I, later on, they were also diagnosed as, as, as being autistic. Yeah. And like, it was just a for female, me, correct. yeah, female, yes. Yes. uh, high, kind of high functioning female, uh, diagnosis. I was like, oh, like okay now that i'm reframing this yeah like yeah. your body was more sensitive for the actually yeah. needing the food like well, the blood sugar right, blood water, sugar. like the interoception and then it. that yes. that delay and that kickoff yeah. kind of would ruin her whole day yeah. right and like yeah. reframing that is like as a neurotypical i'm like grow the fuck up like for sure. we have it's a big meeting right right but now that yeah. i've reframed it it's like okay like yes it's just different than how i would operate and so in that context you know she's someone that there's diagnosis, accepting the diagnosis, working through it, sometimes talk therapy. And then that's it, Yeah, they're right? left to your own devices, yeah. And that's not it. Like that's that's the key here is that's not it, right? Because if you're that person, like I've been that person and the schedule changes and I'm like, oh, settle the fuck down. You can do this. You can do this. And then the willpower kicks in and I can do it, but I am going to be done for after, right? Where when I have been working on myself, balancing balancing everything out, right? Driving that right brain, working on vagal tone, these different things, I could handle that. And I can just tell myself, okay, yeah. And it's not like the discomfort. Like it's it's crawl out of your skin. You just want to crawl out of your skin. You know, I could like feel exactly what she was probably feeling in those moments. So if you want to be able to be in those moments and not have those micro meltdowns, basically, like there's other ways. And that's basically, you know, not everyone might be interested in that. But for me, again, someone who wants personal growth, I view that as personal growth for myself. Like that's an area that I want to grow in and to be more adaptable and to not have that because that's completely distracting then from the meeting at hand. Oh, for sure. From the work you need to be doing. And I mean, it's important in tech, but for me, if I have, you know, a pediatric brain injury in front of you, like I can't, I can't, you know, have a moment like that. I really can't. So I have to keep myself balanced. And that's been a big part of this too, is giving myself more grace. And, you know, you're really supportive in that. And sometimes in a really funny way of like, hey, you need some stim pod. <laughs> right? Yeah, you need it bad. You need to yeah. put the Fisher Wallace on your hand. Yeah. You know, something like that. 
Or like, I can't, I can't keep having this conversation until you do that. Right. You're, and it's yeah. true. And then instead of it escalating or being like, no, we're going to, you know, solve this before we go to bed kind of a thing. It's like, let's pause, recalibrate. And a neurotypical person might be able to recalibrate by just walking away. But like for me, it would take three days of walking away for my system to reset. Yeah. Where when I can use these tools, like let's bring in the clinical neuroscience it can be a matter of, you know, minutes to an hour kind of a thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm back. I'm back in my body. I'm settled. I'm not feeling all of this look anymore. Uh, makes a huge difference. And yeah. it's really important for relationships. It's really important for work. But I feel like most people can push through at work. And that's what I found uh, over the years until I started, you know, until this part, is I would push through at work and I'd had nothing left. Or in school, for example, when I was in school, I mean, we got divorced while I was in school. I would push through, push through, push through. Nothing left when I got home. That was it. You know? Are you stimming right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I would if I pointed out. It was just kind of an interesting little little moment. Um, yeah. It, it's worth noting too. I mean, I don't, I don't know how deep to go into this, but yeah, like I have, when we're not securely attached, kind of through attachment theory, like I exhibit more of an anxious attachment. You exhibit more of an avoidant attachment historically. Yes, yes. And so it is interesting too, to point like if you're out of whack. You're more anxious. So now I want yeah. to like, I want to address these problems now. I want to hug you. I want to like, I have a touch as a love language. So there's like all this like. And I'm like. Ah. Right. And, yeah. and if you can get through Stimpod and Fisher Wallace yep. and things like that. It's amazing the 180 of like what we can do kind of to resolve yeah, that situation. Yeah, right. attachment, very much so. And, 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 and I think I've also learned post-diagnosis too to sometimes like, I don't know, maybe like I don't want us to go to bed angry, angry. Yeah. Like, and I think there's maybe been one time in our in our journey that that's, that's been like, but it's, been, years, it's yeah. been not often that it's like angry, yeah. angry. Yeah. But I've started, I feel like bar, my bar was like if anything was slightly off, it was like we kind of had to address it right then. Sure. And now kind of like, yeah, and I'm out yeah. kind of like, hey, you know what, like, it's okay. Like, there's there's some ebbs and flows of, like, let's bring this back, cooling off and connecting. is it's conversation. Like, right. I don't want to have a pretty serious conversation mm -hmm. at 10.45 p.m. when I'm falling asleep and you're expecting a quick answer. And I'm like, what? You know, I need to think through this. I need to think about the details. Because this is a funny thing, right? I think through everything and make decisions in my head that I don't tell anyone yes, else about the yeah, process, yeah. right? Like I do the entire process in my head and it's a little bit of a tangent, but that comes up. Yeah. So that's been helpful. So it's not necessarily an argument, but it's like, Hey, let's have this conversation tomorrow where that wasn't even an option before you would be like, it's happening now. We need to have yeah. this conversation now. And I, and then I would just have a meltdown and I would seems like a tantrum and it seems like I was just being a jerk. And it, you know, it is kind of well, being a jerk, but right. I have very little control over it. And that's yeah. what was frustrating because then you just try to exhibit more control and you try to have more control and more areas right. of your life to try to prevent that. And then pretty soon you just try to control everything and you're just more likely to not. And then that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that that might be a good spot to stop for episode one. Let's hold up the whole time. I know. And, <laughs> um, uh, I'm excited for us to start talking about some of the different, you know, tools, techniques, research, research, whatever it is to kind of yeah, start a working through, so many stories. Yeah, being able to resolve, resolve is not the right word, uh, mitigate some of the, you know, the challenges in the moment. Make things easier. 
Yeah. To make life a little bit easier. It doesn't have to be so hard. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll get ready for episode two, and um, thanks for listening. Oh, and we, I think well, we're going to we're going to have an Instagram account. which I don't know the name of it right now. The autistic female. The autistic female. I have it already. Oh, we already have it. Uh, no one follows it, and it's there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I haven't debuted it yet. I mean, well, we try to put a lot more like short clips there and whatnot too. So yeah. hopefully, if there's something you find interesting on the short clips on Instagram, then you can we'll try to put a link, you know, to the actual show to go that's listen to the long form. Yeah. You know, so that's the intention. Follow along. So thank you. Okay.